you need to show your human side now more than ever because that's the only unique thing you have left. On this episode, we're talking personal brand. This is Don't Say Content, created in partnership with Share Your Genius. In a sea of a million marketing shows, we strive to be original, but I'm not digging through all of those to find out for sure. I'm Katie, your producer, and these are your hosts, Devin Bramhall. I wish more people were talking about the rise of niche communities and how to work that into your marketing strategy to be ahead of everyone else and stop thinking about the funnel and the stages and all of that. And Margaret Kelsey. There is an overall decline in corporate brands, especially in social channels. And I think that's fine because people want to follow people. In this episode, we're exploring personal brand, how people use it, and how the growing importance of it in B2B brands will change everything from strategy to team structure. Let's dive in. I've got some headlines here to prime us for today. So a fun stat coming out of 2022 was that time spent on social apps grew by 17%. In 2022? Yeah, from 2021 to 2022, it grew by 17%. I bet it's TikTok. It's fucking TikTok, y'all. The last couple of years were so bonkers. I mean, think about like, I don't know if you saw this at at Animals, Devin, but like the blog page view content consumption volume that happened in like 2020 and 2021 we were like always trying to chase those highs. Like if you looked at oh, year yeah. over year numbers, it was just always so sad. You'd be like, yeah, when they were locked in their homes and they would read my business blog. <laughs> People had nothing else to do. They were like going deep on like business blogs. I'm actually really happy that we got out of that. <laughs> I'm happy that less people are reading. Though one thing I will say about that statistic, it is logical to me that social media would see an ever-growing increase in whatever you call it. What was it? Engagement, consumption, whatever, like time. Time spent. Time spent. Our generation was the split one where we started off without technology and then and the ones before it and so like what's happening are two things these next generations after us are starting with tech which means that like there's more and more people and the laggards of social media adoption they've come up a lot more and so to me that number will likely only continue to increase especially as margaret mentioned like new platforms come into play i think what will be really interesting for me is less the sheer number, but actual behavior within them, which is, you know, if we continue to go down this path of niche communities online, I think engage- engagement could increase even more, but it will be split across more platforms. More platforms. Yeah. Like yeah. overall engagement will be higher. I think that's what's really interesting. I think that I wish more people were talking about the rise of niche communities and how to work that into your marketing strategy to be ahead of everyone else and stop thinking about the funnel and the stages and all of that and go into like messy community building among smaller groups of people across many platforms, like completely taking automation out of it, which I'm sorry, Buffer. I'm sorry, Hootsuite. I'm sorry to all of you, but like I think that's the only way for brands to make B2B brands specifically to make it anymore because there's no engagement with B2B brands on social media anymore or very little unless you pay for it. And so these niche communities are going to be an opportunity for like individual influencers at companies to represent Thank the you. brand. Thank you. All right. I was literally sitting on my edge of my seat being like, if one, if somebody listens to that and spins up a brand thing in a niche community, Oh, no. they're going to get booted or like yeah, ignored right. or whatever. But I do agree with you. I think that that's the second part of it is 
the individual influencer at an organization joins these niche communities and acts more as like a whatever advocate than the actual brand. I think there is an overall decline in corporate brands, especially in social channels. And I think that's fine because people want to follow people, right? Like people care about people. And so I think that the things that we're going to see continue to rise as brands will become and continue to become an amalgamation of the people at the company. Specifically, obviously, like the more senior leaders are less likely to leave and turn and whatnot. So I think the more that those people can I can build their own personal brands. And then what what happens is the brand becomes just this like unification layer. But if you think about how that changes voice and tone, how that changes messaging, like it it ultimately fundamentally changes a lot of your brand and content strategy when you're activating individuals and their brands and having the layer underneath it be the be the company rather than the company as this like monolithic structure and maybe there's some influencers underneath it. I love that. I'm like that seems like the holy land. Also, I think what you're saying, Margaret, could actually continue this trend of workers having more power because yeah. if a company is that reliant on personal individual personal brands and I think that makes a lot of sense then workers will continue to have even more leverage, which I think is good. And then you think of, is it a brand's team's responsibility to instead of normally just make sure that the entire company and the entire company that's creating corporate messages have the right voice, tone, message, whatnot, is it actually the brand's team to make sure that every single person within the company can become an external brand advocate, right? And what does that look like? And I think that it changes a lot of the responsibility and functionality of brand. And it's less about policing and more about empowering. But I think that this is only also, I hate to go back to AI. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But the fact that there's so many content AI, like generative AI tools for content, the things that will remain as being important that we can hang our hat on is insights attached to real human beings, whether or not that human being used AI to write that insight or or clarify it or edit it, whatever. I think attaching it to a human being to say that I agree with this insight or I have this lived experience and have this insight out of it, we're only going to start to see that becoming the thing that people care about too. Back to the brand guidelines. The new brand guidelines is communicating the vision and making sure people really understand the vision so that when the brand team goes out and looks for those representatives within the company, they're able to use that as criteria for finding because it's not because like you said, it's not so much about mandating how they speak. You don't want them. You want them to speak all differently. So the unifying thing that the thing that unifies them on w- within the brand is our values. And exactly. So that's what I was going to say is that values, cultural values and brand values need to be one to one. The thing that you use to hire people and to say they're going to fit in our culture is also the same decision making criteria of this is what our brand stands for externally. And the closer you can get those to be the same set of criteria that you're using for hiring and you're using for like culture building, promoting internally, and then also using that because it aligns to the types of values that are interesting to your target audience, to your customers. That's how you build this thing where you're actually filtering way earlier than what you were saying, Devin. You're not going into your company and saying, 
okay, well, who of these people will be aligned to this brand story? It's we've only hired people that care about our brand values because we use that in that decision-making criteria. So anybody that works at this company, if we've done our job correctly, can be an advocate for our brand externally. That's an, and wow, that's really interesting. And I wonder then too, if job descriptions start to change where like a part of your function, you know, is community engagement and externally facing like more influencer-y stuff, which would could be really, that would be really interesting. The second thing you said about AI and like thought leadership. So I actually did an experiment on that recently on social media. So I had a LinkedIn post I wanted to write and I'm the most typical writer in the world. I have lots of thoughts, but it takes like shackles to make me actually write something like it's very. And so I was like, well, maybe I can use AI to help me like jot, like write through my thought. And so I tried. I put my opinion in like it's probably partly just that I haven't learned how to use it to properly. But what it gave me was the LinkedIn bro version of my thought. <laughs> And it had it was like, and everything's a happy ending. I'm like, it stripped out all the nuance. Mm-hmm. And it brings me back to something I heard Bernard from ClearScope say on his podcast recently, where he was talking about how he was talking about AI. And he was saying that the thing about AI is it distills existing information, content, et cetera. Yeah. It's like it the weighted average of what has come before. Right. And so because of that, things like politics and religion, things that have nuance, thing that, things that contain, that are constantly moving, right? Like opinion, all that. It actually isn't very good at that yet because it can't put all those things together in new ways necessarily. It yeah. can put things together into a creative story maybe in a new way, but it can't like form opinions for you. And that was my experience, which I think for those people who are one, who have businesses and are wondering like, oh no, what about AI? I'm like, there's thought leadership type content that's strongly opinionated, having a stance content is still a big opportunity. When people come to me for advising, one of the questions that they most frequently ask is around thought leadership. Mm-hmm. There are you know, people who run companies and they're like, how do I get, like, do I hire an agency? Do I hire a person? It's so hard to have someone else write my thoughts for me. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And correct. it should be. Okay, so this brings up how I talk about that in a similar way is that as a content team, as a marketing team, you need to adopt a practice of content facilitation rather than content creation. And so the thought here, especially for executives and their own personal brands, and this goes back to like the changing role of even a brand team or a content team, is that what we need less of is like a content marketer who's been out of school for three years to try to write anything for anyone in a B2B context. They just don't know it. And what's going to happen is now they're going to start using AI tools and really not know it. What you need to do is to teach them the skill set of asking really interesting questions, interviewing people, asking the questions, and then figuring out how to facilitate a process that is easy as possible for the person that you're asking to facilitate these ideas from. And then working behind the scenes to make sure it is as exceptional as possible, that it has business value in terms of like the CTAs attached to it and where the channels that you're going to use it in. And then to make sure that's as easy as possible for that person to review it, to say, yes, go forth with that thing. And then to get that thing live. And it's a different skill set. It's not like, please write about what 
is changing in this industry that you're not a part of, that you could never possibly know what's at the forefront of this industry because you're not doing that. What I need you to be is a content marketer, which means a content facilitator. And it's a total switch, but it's like the only possible way to actually create anything of value. The question asking thing, though, that's a really hard skill to learn. And I just want to double click on that because I really agree with you. And I also see how hard that is to achieve for someone who's three years out of school. Three to start off with. Three in my back pocket for you. Three great questions. The three questions that if you are trying to facilitate content from anyone that knows more about something in an industry than you know, you ask them three things. You ask them, what did you recently learn about that you wish you had learned about six months ago, a year ago? What's something that you just found out about that you're like, wow, that really unlocked something in my life, in my business life, in my whatever life? Second question you can ask is, what's something that everyone's talking about that you believe the exact opposite? It's another great one to just pull out. And then what's changing in the industry that you think is either really good or really bad, right? Like, what do you see happening that's either a positive change or a negative change? The answers you get from that, if you're asking the right person, you're going to create content that's at the forefront of what's happening in that industry because it's going to be all about what's, what's changing, what's happening right now. That's, yeah, they're good back pocket questions. You can apply them to anything and you'll get answers that are pretty, pretty good. Recently worked with a company where I was interviewing the founders who are like, they've been around the block, really thought about the questions I was going to ask them because I was like, I need you to trust me enough to give me good answers. And so I have to ask you questions that are going to knock your socks off. Yeah. And I have to do it from the get go. And so the tact I took was I challenged their fundamental assumptions. Mm. I, that was like, I took a contrarian's point. And I said, we got the on the call. And, in my side. <laughs> but you should have seen their faces. So yeah. the, the question I start off with was, I think it was, uh, why do you think your product is uniquely poised to solve this problem? Why? Yeah. And it's just like, they don't expect that. They expect, and I think when you can, when you can surprise people, that's when you can start. That's another way to get really interesting answers yeah. where you're just like, they're like, oh, like even argue with them a little bit. Peep, the thing you can get out of people when you're like productively arguing is like. And see so going, much into your like, like personality strategy right now <laughs> based on this conversation. It's really illuminating. I'm like thinking back to how many times you've productively argued with me to get out details of myself and my life <laughs> you want to know what's i leave the absolutely... conversation i'm like how did i tell her that <laughs> you want to know the, the craziest thing this is like makes no sense this is like an equation that doesn't add up to x i hate confrontation that's i really really dislike it like it makes me really uncomfortable not yeah. like again productive confident fine but like yeah when people are actually angry with me it like deeply upsets me it is and I can't help myself I see myself doing it I will like I'll text Suni all the time like when because we worked on this project together and I was like you know he used to be my boss I still call him boss and I was like I'm sorry for everything I'm about to say (laughs) and I was just like I think we should do blah 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 and I don't even like I think this is the wrong way and he's just like you know I'm like I'm sorry I can't I'm sorry that I have to do this but I have to do it Let's pause here. Next up is a marketing nightmare story. 
I was at a marketing agency and I did all of our own marketing. And one year when Pantone dropped the new color of beer, we were super pumped about it. We loved it. We thought it even matched our brand. So we incorporated it like for fun for a social campaign and just like some random content into our branding and logos, icons, all the things. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> as I was creating these Instagram stories, you know, our icon was, wait for it, wait for it, the letter K. And so without thinking, I stacked three Ks vertically on top of each other and posted that to an Instagram story. And within two minutes, people were in our DMs wondering what kind of hate group we belonged to. So um, needless to say, I broke like our agency's number one cardinal rule about marketing. <laughs> and we'll never live that one down. It was horrifying, and I think I have triple checked every social post I've ever made since then. And now you know why we disguise their voices. Have a marketing nightmare story to share anonymously on the pod? There's a link to record one in the show notes. Now back to Devin and Margaret. There's something else that I care more about, because the what really depends on you what you're comfortable doing, what your goals are, et cetera. But the way I found, I have found personal brand useful, particularly early on in my career, is in giving myself an identity within my industry, but outside the confines of my role. The first example is when I was working in customer support at a tech company in Boston. And I was like, I realized I kind of wanted to change my career I took some time. I figured out content marketing is what I wanted to go in. And I didn't know, I didn't have any experience yet. So I had to make a career pivot and like not lose my job because I was, this is again, when people got paid no money to do work. <laughs> we weren't all pay, being paid $100,000 right out of, our, out of school. So I changed my branding online. I actually, this is back when business cards were still a thing. So I made them. That's cute. That was Retro. I know, they were really cute actually. I got a lot of props on them. But so I would go to a lot of networking events in Boston on behalf of my company. So a lot of like customer support, like stuff like that. And when I was there, when I would talk to people, I would say, I'm a happiness specialist. It's a vague title that I was more than happy to describe because I was able to translate the work that I did in customer Mm -hmm. support into something around like community engagement. Cause I was writing like blog content and stuff like that too. So it was like a really, it was a sneaky way for me to sort of reposition myself, start to network and see if I could get like job offers, whatever. I ended up being able to pivot at my company. But, um, and then the next thing was once I became a content marketer, I was like, okay, how do I like position myself distinctly within this industry? So I thought I called myself a storyteller. This was before storytelling was a buzzword. So like it actually did stand out. People were like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? I also quite literally did do stand-up storytelling like live on stage. So like that helped. And so what that translated into is my – an event series that I created called The Master Slam. Then it translated into a course that I taught at General Assembly called How to Use Storytelling to Get What You Want, which is like by that time I've been working in marketing a little bit longer. So I was able to marry these two things together. It was a wildly popular series. They're still teaching it. But it's like now just like I was able to accelerate my career growth through my personal, like make pivots, accelerate career growth, um, get more experience. Because I think a lot of times like you're at any company you're at, you're going to be limited, right? You can't do everything, get your hands on everything you want to do. So I was able to go out and get experience with different types of like email marketing, event planning, event marketing, all that stuff. 
it's continued throughout my career to serve me and what it looked like when you asked what does personal branding mean to you? It looked like something different depending on the thing I was trying to achieve in the moment. Yeah. I would also say it looked like play. Like that sounds like things that you just like really found joy and and value in doing. And I think that that's a piece of the puzzle that I don't want to lose is that like finding yourself, describing yourself, that should feel, that should come from a place of play rather than from a, a place of being so serious. And never before this show, before this year, before this period of my life, had any interest in something that I would have considered personal branding. I had an aversion to it. I didn't like the idea of it. I wanted to like have be heads down and be known as the person that like did the work. I never really cared about like lifting my head up and like sharing my insights. I think I've always deeply thought that other people knew more than me to the point where that's why talking about content facilitation that's why I stumbled upon that because when I got that first job at Envision and I was a content marketer to try to write content for designers, I very quickly understood that I knew jack shit about what I was talking about. I was like Googling like what is product design and all I got was Don Norman's like book of everyday things. And I'm sure that's not the right title, but like it was about physical products. It's like about like the design of teacups and Norman doors and things like that. And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know. That's not what these people are doing with this product. And yeah. I think that it served me well because I feel like I have never thought that I had until very recently in my career thought that I had insights worth being insightful about or branding myself around. Can I ask you a question about that? I have a question. You you said something that I was really interested in and I would like to know more about. You said, I wanted to be known as someone doing the work. And my question to you is, why does developing a personal brand equal to you, someone who isn't doing the work? I know. It felt like a distraction to me. It felt like if I was spending time doing that, I wasn't spending time figuring out the problem for my for the company I was working with because the funnels are so different. If I am personal branding for my career, I don't need a huge funnel of inbound opportunities the way that like a B2B startup does, right? B2B startups need like high volume, high funnel. You can experiment a bunch. If I was building my own personal brand with the thought of like my career and my opportunities, I only ever needed the next opportunity And those things came from a strong word of mouth that I was capable and willing to do the work. And so for me, it was maybe you could say that's personal branding, but like my personal brand, you actually coined this term on a different podcast, the speakeasy brand. And when I heard it said aloud, I really loved it because it felt like maybe I was doing a personal brand, but that was my personal brand is like I didn't want to be public facing. And I loved that idea of like, oh, who you really need to know, if you have that open role, who you really need to know is Margaret. And no, she's not really on posting a bunch of stuff on LinkedIn or on Twitter, but like she's the one that actually can get you to that next stage because she spent all of her mind share on how to build that bigger funnel. So to me, it was like in, in that side of my brain where I'm like, why would I build a big funnel for myself, a big brand for myself, if the only thing I really need is that next opportunity? That's interesting because I there's something you said earlier in there that I don't think you believe. Oh, tell me that. So you said earlier that why would you do personal branding because it doesn't apply to B2B because B2B has a different funnel. But I know you and I know you think playbooks are garbage. Yeah. And the Margaret that I know 
believes that executing an adjacent type of marketing will logically inform the marketing you're doing elsewhere and that companies need you to be practicing elsewhere so that you can continue iterating on how marketing goes because playbooks, whatever playbook du jour is working is eventually going to not work because it's going to, so many people are going to be activating it, which means that you as a marketer, your job isn't to follow instructions. Yes. And so I believe that you believed that then, but the Margaret today I know knows that that was incorrect. Yeah. If you're not playing elsewhere, you're not Yeah, there's lots of fallacy baked into that assumption. And especially right now where talking about layoffs and you need to find your unique value in order for people to want to keep you. And that's the thing that's going to do it. It's like what made you and I effective over the years is we didn't always follow the rules. Yeah. Right. Like I was just like, I came in and I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Honestly, like, I don't know there anything. There were no rules. There was no established, like, digital marketing of software that was accessible via the internet, like PLG as it began. There was no playbook for that yet. There is some privilege because we didn't have the playbook. Of like, I'm oh, terrible God, at guys- following the rules. I don't know yeah. how to do it. I think we benefited from not having it. I think my entire career benefited from not having it like being homeschooled, not, you know, not having any part of my career be conventional at all until I actually started working. I think that kind of mindset is what people need to stand out now in particular. And, you know, I think we see it more too. Like you see like CEOs of these like huge software companies. If you look at their Twitter bio, it's like, they're like, I'm a dad or I'm a built, like I'm a, you know, I love origami. Like I'm a plant, you know, it's like they're part-time woodworker. Yeah. And I'm like, that to me is really smart. It's like you're humanizing yourself. I was literally this morning talking to Lindsay. She's the CEO of Casted. And she's like her belief, she literally built an entire company around this philosophy. I'm going to ruin it because she has like the succinct version of it. But it's about being human. It's like you need to show your human side now more than ever because that's the only unique thing you have left because there's so much saturation. There's so many people following playbooks and rules and writing boring stuff as a result that like this is the time to get weird when i was talking about that previously of like my own definition of personal branding was activation through social channels Mm -hmm. and i think like a more holistic definition of that is do you understand who you are do you understand what you care about what you're moving towards like your story of like connecting this like red thread of the career that you haven't even done yet but like the thing that you want to go do based on your interests and your skill sets and how those things connect. That is fantastic personal branding. To me, I was allergic to the idea that I need to activate it in a public way. But every single time I would switch jobs or be entertaining offers of switching jobs, I made sure before I got on the call, like I didn't prep about like, what's your biggest weakness and what's your blah, blah, blah. But I made sure to be able to have an inspirational story of the thing I cared about and how that red thread connected through my last three jobs and how it connects to a broader vision. Doing the work of the personal branding, I just wasn't activating it publicly. Yeah. Well, that's a great point, though, that you made about you thought personal branding meant social channels. Yeah. Personal branding is networking events. Personal branding is 
you know, press mentions, it's be a guest on podcasts, it's talks. Like there's so many different ways, large and small, that you can build your personal brand. I did it through a bunch of different ways. I taught a general assembly class. Like those classes are only, they're small. They're only like 20 people per class, but I started teaching it regularly and it turned into a thing. And now I'm the person who built that course that they teach without me now. That's based on your comfort level. There are so many different ways to build your personal, a lot of developers, right? Like, And so much of what you're saying makes me feel really exhausted because I'm not that type of person that like after hours wants to go put together a course or like go network. Like really, like I want to network, like I just don't want to do it, you know? And so to me, it's like, those are the important pieces too. And you don't need to like create a personal brand because you see somebody else with a personal brand and you're going to activate yours in that exact same way. Part of it is what channels do you feel comfortable with? What kind of content? I I always pour, I always um put <laughs> poor Blake from OpenView under the bus because he, for the longest time, was trying to write written content. And it would take him a long time because he's a polisher in the written form. He like wants every word to be perfect. And then once it's live, he doesn't really want anyone going back in there and messing with it because he spent so much time really making sure that the words were perfect. And once we got him at OpenView into podcast content and video content, he's so much more prolific, right? He like has weekly, daily PLG123 shows now where he's just like riffing out in the world. And it was part of that was like finding that content fit where you can feel comfortable being prolific or channel fit or whatever you want to say. Like maybe some people are really prolific going to networking events because that's something that inspires them. If you can think of it as like marketing, like marketing content types, channel types, and making sure that it aligns both to what you want out of your career, but also that it feels authentic for yourself. I think this, this type of personal branding can show up in lots of different ways. That all resonates with me a lot. And you're a big yes ander today. I know, because you're like you're saying you're speaking to my soul. You always do fully. that, Margaret. You always <laughs> but not fully. Uh, yeah, but with an asterisk, Can always, because I'm a thorn. <laughs> so you said something earlier that contained an assumption. Mm. So you said, "I hate networking events. Like networking makes me want to throw up or whatever." You didn't yeah. say throw up. But that's something I would say. I uh, but yeah, kind of does. But what like networking? And this is a problem that I see with a lot of people is that they make an assumption about what a thing is based on what they've seen most prominently. So networking doesn't necessarily mean you are going to a networking event. It could be those really awesome dinners. It's the marketing all-stars group I'm a part of. It's like a supportive one-to-one group. Tell me more groups that I am not a part of. It's the same one. It's the same one from before. Like I'm in a couple of like WhatsApp groups for different neighborhood dog Mm -hmm. Walker, oh, like dog like people. Marketing superstars. And this sort of leads me to my second thing, which is like, one, don't look at a list of what is already out there. Find yeah. like a type of thing you like and see if that exists in the way that you feel comfortable. So like you may love speaking, but you only want to speak in small groups. There's other ways, like there's different ways to give talks, right? So that's number one is like st- these assumptions about what is available to you are very, very limiting and it upsets me. And an example of that is I used to go to a lot of networking events and there were like two categories of them, right? There was like the speaker, like one speaker who goes up, goes up and gives a talk or there's a panel. And I was like, this is boring. I want something different. And so I took the speaker thing with like the storytelling made a competition and I called it the master slam. 
And I took this thing where like I had to go out to all these different networking events, took tons of time, right? I brought all of that to me, created a new form that I found interesting and I created something brand new. So it was more efficient. It was more fun. People loved it. My events always sold out. That's the other thing I would say about personal brand is like, you don't have to take what's already there. You can look at a list, but don't assume that the thing on the list is what you've already seen because there are so many different types of things now. Networking looks a lot different. There's a lot more available oh to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, do, I completely agree with you there. And I think that like for me now, I do so much better on one-to-one catch-up calls and I would prefer to do that. I would prefer to have drinks or have a coffee or go to dinner or like have a virtual coffee, like that is how I've realized that I do a really good job of networking and staying top of mind with the kind of connectors in the community that I want to be friends slash business friends with. But I would never like to the thought of like going into an empty or like a big room with people that just want to like shove business cards at you. I mean, nobody clearly was having fun there because they all went to your master slam. No, everyone loved my event, obviously. Like they wouldn't, we had to like force them to leave at the end. What I'm saying is, again, you're making an assumption about what a networking event is, but that, none of the networking events. I am making an assumption. Yeah. Like, first of all, nobody has business cards anymore, but like network events where one can network aren't even like that anymore. I know. And like, and so like I went to marketing profs, their B2B forum in Boston. My friend Ashley was speaking and she had a ticket and she's like, just come. And I'd like just quit. So she was like, you can go to this and like I can for free, you know, you can stay with me. I was like, you're so nice. Um, She's like, do you need a meal? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) truly. I was like, you're such a good friend. Like I feel she's got, she's been really good at her personal brand. I would love to have talked to her about this because she's been really deliberate about it, Um, especially on LinkedIn. She's run a lot of experiments that I think are really formative and interesting. But, um, you know, even going to that event, like they have these networking periods and like, I had some really like fun, fascinating conversations when I was in a group of my peers and mm-hmm. none of us were trying to sell each other anything. Like not one single conversation contained a pitch. We yeah. were all just nerding out. And I think that like, so I think that's like, you know, there's and not to like keep talking about networking events, but that's true of everything. My sister the other day, she was asking me for some advice on YouTube and she doesn't want to build a public YouTube channel. because She's like, oh, like I don't want to be one of those influencers. I'm like, so don't. Yeah. So don't you can do be it. a fitness instructor online. You can build your brand using social channels and do it differently and build a following yeah. around that. Like uniqueness is, we need more of it. It bums me out to see that kind of self-limiting where it's like, I don't want to do this because I think it looks like everything else that's already out there. That is the exact opposite of how I approached my career. Like I went from zero to quite literally a hundred from age like 31 when I came back from Bali my career was delayed in getting started and it catapulted to CEO in a, in a category that like no business school. And so, and I did it just by doing things the way I imagined them, not necessarily yeah. following. Again, another, another plus one for throwing the playbook out the window. It's boring. And here's Jennifer Hirsch, futurist astrologer with this week's Soulful Wealth Update. It's a really great time to think about what values you're here to express and who needs to connect with them. One of the biggest trends of 2023 is to identify and form tribal groups all based on your values. 
personal brand is a way for people to quickly understand who you are and what you're about and what you can do for them. So how you can create value for someone else. Focusing now is going to create exponential rewards over the coming years, especially as things become more chaotic and quicker, which is a big trend of 2023 called the mycelium network, which is information's just going to flow faster than we've ever seen before. All right, this is where our show ends. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like what we're doing here, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Maybe share with your friends. Up to you. I'll see you next time. Uh, Katie, I think we did a, we did a good job. I thought that was vibey AF, as the children would say. <laughs>